Hi, I'm Hannah. And I'm Sarah. And this is Big Small Talk. This is the podcast where we try and cover the entirety of the news cycle from the serious to the frivolous all in one place. Because loving pop culture doesn't mean you don't understand politics. And today we're going to talk about Alan Jones, Times Person of the Year, an update on Gaza, celebs being messy on Instagram, and Anastasia Palaszczuk resigning. Yes. But first, we would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording today, the Gadigal people, and pay our respects to elders past and present. But before we get into the actual news, what is your personal headline of the week? I, this is crazy for me, I went on a date in Melbourne on Sunday. So I went down on Sunday, came back on Monday, but it was wild, a wild 24 hours. And I don't know why I'm saying this on a podcast, I'm very nervous about it, but I thought it was very fun and like frivolous behaviour. And I'm not usually an outrageous, spontaneous person. I'm classic type A, scared of everything and loves organisation. So I think it was really fun that I did that. No, it was really fun because when you were telling me about this, like you made the decision the night before. Yeah. While on a night out. Yeah. And and then had your flights booked to go see this boy the next day. Yeah, we both made the decision a bit drunk on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we were both like, we're still up for this. And then it was really fun. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. If we all remember a few weeks back when I was like, just go on a date. Yes. And you were like, no. And now you're like, I'll fly to Melbourne for one. (laughs) To be be fair, I set up a lot of uh, work meetings on Monday. So there was purpose. I not only planned a date, but I ensured that there was girl boss behavior going on so that I didn't feel like I was. And so it could be tax deductible. I literally (laughs) made the trip pass the Bechdel test. Do you know what I mean? Like I was like, this must happen. Anyway, what's your personal headline of the week? Okay. Well, first and foremost, we got so many messages, especially in the Q&A, that has asked us if we've seen Saltburn. And I was seeing so much about this movie. So I went and saw it last night and I can confirm it's cooked. It's so good. Like, I think it's one of the first movies in a long time that I was not bored for a single second. Yes. But it's so weird. And that was my whole thing about wanting to go see it because I'd ask people, like, what's it about? And no one would really explain it to me. And everyone's just like, oh, it's kind of fucked, but it's really good. Yes. And I can confirm that is my review as well. I actually can't add anything more to that. You have to go experience it for yourself. It's very graphic. Oh. But, like... Fast, like, oh, Jacob Lordy, mm. Barry Keogh, is it Keogh his last name? But he's great in it as well. It's such a good movie. You just need to be prepared for whatever you're going into, if mm. that makes sense. I, I get it. The other thing I wanted to say from this week was I'm so excited that two of my very good friends are moving in with me this week and it's such a fun girl share house vibe and I'm just so excited for it. Alan Jones has been accused of indecently assaulting multiple young men and using his position of power to prey on them. Shocking. It is. It's not shocking at all. Mm -hmm. But you know what? I think we've got to get into it because I I think that the media, that's the the first thing, the media has framed this as being a scandal. It's simply not, but I want to get into why. Okay. Now, I'm sure that a lot of people listening already know who Alan Jones is, but I just want to outline for those who don't that he basically was Australia's highest paid, most commercially successful, and I would say pretty comfortably he was the most controversial talkback radio presenter for multiple decades in, in this country. And despite being successfully sued for defamation by more than a dozen people, being fined for contempt of court and having having adverse findings made against him by the broadcast regulators, he only grew in popularity. Mm. He's a major conservative advocate. He has good friends in people like John Howard. So his broadcast career spanned more than 30 years across two stations. And I was reading that in the 90s, he had a listenership that amounted to about 22% of the market share. That is insane. I know. My radio girlie Sarah was, I knew you would react to that well. Yeah. He actually won 
100 consecutive rating surveys. Like, he was unstoppable. He actually changed stations at one point. People were like, this is the end. And by the end of the year that he'd been at the second station, he was back number one. Yeah. Like, that is huge to get your listenership to just change their talkback station. He's also, like, historically made violent, threatening comments about former New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, Julia Gillard. Famously, he said that her father died of shame. He also famously made comments that, infamously, I would say, um, that she should be dragged out in a chaff bag to sea and forced to swim back. And the comments he made about Jacinda Ardern, if I remember correctly, were basically that he was interviewing Scott Morrison and suggested that he stuff a sock down her throat. Um, I remember all of this. It's such a classic example of, like, the more outrageous, the more controversial you are, the more supporters you get. Like, I feel like... You kind of see that in Australian radio always. Like, I think Kyle and Jackie O is a really good example of that. But this shock jocks. But this is like Alan Jones is the extreme of it. Yes, absolutely. Like, he, I was reading this morning because I was just trying to grasp the extent of it. Like, he was saying the N word in 2018. Yeah. Like, it's absurd. It's absurd that this person was allowed to dominate radio but for so long. But it becomes a thing where it's like they're so untouchable because yeah. they just can say, it's almost like Donald Trump. Yes. Like, there's no shock value in it. They get away with it because everyone's like, oh, that's them. That's, that, that's what they're edgy exactly yeah. it's this it's this like that's just him like there's no software updates available and he gets ratings and he gets the advertisers and that's it yeah. right and he also said that the stolen generations were necessary and he's made m- like multiple continued consistent vitriolic racial comments about different communities like multiple it's not he doesn't he doesn't discriminate in his discrimination basically but what's crazy is like most of the stuff he said like didn't even make headlines no like, no one even really pulled yeah, him up on just it. just Alan, exactly what you're saying. Mm. He left 2GB, his radio station, in 2020, citing health reasons, but major advertisers basically fled after the Jacinda Ardern commentary. Um, he then went on to host a show on Sky News, which didn't actually pull ratings, and so he's kind of been dwindling in popularity, and he's kind of become this shock jock that now writes huge full-length page articles saying he's been cancelled in major newspapers, because if you can get a full-length page interview and column in a newspaper, you've surely been cancelled. Public opinion. But anyway, that's another comment. He now has this online platform on YouTube that's like far right of Sky News to suggest how far right he is. Mm. He makes Sky News look moderate, basically. So what are the allegations against him? Yeah, so in a report released by the Sydney Morning Herald last week, he's been accused of using his position of power to engage in predatory behaviour, preying on multiple young men, groping them, indecently assaulting them or inappropriately touching them without consent. So I'll just run through the allegations and sort of differentiate them. So one was a former 2GB employee who alleges he was repeatedly indecently assaulted by Jones. The quote he says is, if I went to the police, Jones could be charged. What he did to me was a criminal offence. He cannot die without people knowing what he's done. Mm-hmm. Now, and the second allegation actually comes from someone who is now deceased. His name is Alexander Hartman, and basically he made allegations to four journalists about Alan Jones. The the quote from him was, he said, I was his prey. I know I am not the only one, and this will come out somehow. He forces himself on young men and uses his power in a predatory way. Now, a third man was a young waiter at the time, and he alleged that a drunk Alan Jones grabbed his penis in a restaurant. And a fourth man, who is anonymous but isn't like identified as an aspiring musician, described being scared shitless when Jones pounced on him and began kissing him. 
Now, there's also an extra element here because Police Commissioner Karen Webb said there had not yet been any formal police complaints made about Alan Jones, so there actually isn't a police investigation against him underway. But it has all just been in the media. Yeah. It's not actual form. It's interesting. Yes, it is interesting. But it has emerged yesterday that there actually has been a previous victim that had made a complaint to police five years ago. Mm. And the sex crime squad were only informed of this on Friday. So the Sydney Morning Herald reported again on this yesterday, basically stating that the complainant had alleged in January of 2017 that Jones kissed him on the lips and placed his left hand on the complainant's buttocks. Now, the complainant then reportedly pushed Jones off, pushed him away. And the report goes on to say that despite making a complaint about the alleged incident to the police, he decided that he didn't want to pursue the matter and the police respected that decision. So it was never... The investigation was never undertaken. Now, that complainant was a 17-year-old schoolboy and the allegation was alleged to have occurred at Jones's house. Well, yes. So at present, again, there's no police investigation. There's just these multiple reports and police basically saying, well, we're waiting for someone to make a formal complaint. Okay, my question is, how come now? I feel like that's been a lot of the response to this, which is like, why is this all coming out now? Is it because he could die soon? or I think he does have health issues. Yeah. But I think that, like, I mean, I obviously don't know because a lot of these people are anonymous. It's mm. it, it's probably, I would suggest it's more of a matter of the Sydney Morning Herald has been collecting mm. these numerous stories and now that there's, there's sort of a more watertight allegation because there's power in numbers. Yeah. And I have posted on Cheek twice about this in the last week and both times the response I got from multiple people anonymously in messages was I'm part of the LGBTQIA plus community in Sydney and this is a very public known secret that Alan Jones has done this to many people. Well that's what I'm wondering like if if it's taken this long for an airtight you know they're not going to run anything that they don't believe in but will this open the floodgates? Potentially and that's what we're already seeing with this Mm -hmm. sex crime squad coming out and saying there was actually a police complaint made in 2017 that was then not pursued Mm -hmm. and that's obviously the complainant's right not to pursue that and I think the thing that I see in that complaint is a 17 year old is probably terrified of going up against someone as famous and you know as notorious as Alan Jones oh my god but now because there's that strength in numbers they're trying to pursue his complaint and actually just get someone to come forward because you'll often find that if one person makes a police complaint others will then follow suit potentially we don't know yet so this will be emerging over the next few days but it's interesting so Alan Jones's lawyers have said he is planning legal action against nine newspapers for publishing the allegations which he declares are demonstrably false so he's denying it and I would highly suggest in the next few days we'll see him file for defamation, basically. But also, as expected, many people have come out in support of Alan Jones, including Peter Credlin, also cricket star Brett Lee. Yeah, that that is surprising. Not entirely surprising, but I think it's just interesting who yeah. comes out Absolutely. In these moments. And what I find is that the commentary always from these individuals that come out in support of people like Alan Jones who face allegations is they want to side with a friend and, and, and often the, the rhetoric is like you know, every encounter that I've had with Alan has been very lovely. And it's like, well, that's actually, you know, I'm I'm not saying, I'm not trying to make a determination here on Alan Jones's guilt or innocence because that is will happen in a court process if it gets to that. Yeah. But I think the thing to remember is people who are predators, who prey on young men, who use positions of power to groom and then indecently assault people or commit acts of sexual violence and misconduct – they use their reputation to commit these acts because they gain trust with people who are in power and have influence and then those people therefore protect them because they think they're incapable of committing such acts. So people like Alan Jones are going to be protected by Peter Credlin, Tony Abbott, John Howard, Brett Lee because those people have never seen that side of him. And that's careful. That's calculated. They use positions of power and good reputation to commit these acts. It's really textbook and we spoke about it at length 
yeah. in the last episode. Absolutely. And the thing I also think is like, it's not funny at all, but it's interesting to me the way that people are shocked by this. Because also, and I spoke about this on Cheek last week when this all came out, there have been whispers and rumours, and it feels like a very public secret, these sort of allegations against Jones, because he actually was the Australian rugby coach. He was a political advisor, but he was also a teacher at the King's School. Mm. And at that time, he actually left that position. And it was alleged that he had been sending love letters to 14-year-old boys at that school and had been grooming them. I didn't hear there was that. Lots, exactly. This was like, I think this all came out in about 2005. But wow. essentially, because there was nothing ever pursued or formally sort of put against him in terms of a charge, these were all very much open secrets and things that circulated in the media. So there was some formality to them. But for me reading this, I thought this comes as a shock to no one who has been paying attention to Alan Jones's behaviour, conduct, words. (laughs) If you've been engaging with Alan Jones's work for the last 30 years, you know that he is someone who thinks that, you know, his opinion sits above others. I mean, I don't even, I know of Alan Jones. I don't think I've ever put my hand up to listen to him on purpose, but I know enough about this to still not be shocked. It's just interesting that Facebook is like, oh my God, I can't believe this. And I'm like, I I absolutely can. And I think this was preventable. I'm interested to see how this unfolds and what occurs. I'm sure he'll file for defamation in the next few days and I'm sure more people will come forward, but we will wait and see and let those processes determine themselves basically. Time's person of the year has been announced with Taylor Swift taking the coveted spot for 2023. Go off queen. I have so many thoughts about this and this article. It was written by Sam Lansky, who I think is an amazing writer. If you haven't gone and read the full article, I encourage you to do so. But actually, I want to say at the top of this, everyone's going to be like, oh, Taylor Swift, more Taylor Swift chat. I don't make the rules around here. (laughs) The news is the news. She just won Times Person of the Year. I have to talk about this. Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) I think we should do it in different discussion points because there was so much in this article. Like, yep. it was loaded. Thank God. I loved it too. I'm, I'm so ready to go through because I have so much to say as well. I'm going to start with the cover. Why did they do her so dirty? I literally, the morning I saw it, as soon as I saw it, I sent it directly to you and I was like, the fuck is this, Sarah? <laughs> <laughs> like, she's stunning and that photo is just so bizarre to me. Yeah. Like, she still looks great. Yeah. How how have you taken away all of her personality in that shot? Really? It wasn't even like a reputation-esque. It was just like grey and dull and it wasn't her I, best look. Yeah, I wonder if it was something they did to try and make her not look too pop star glitzy glam because I think that was a lot of the criticism around yeah. it. I, look, I, I, what I don't like is when I see an image of someone and I think you haven't captured them. Yes. It wasn't her. I was surprised yep. by it. Okay, the other big thing from this that I want to just address at the very top is like, why Taylor Swift? Mm-hmm. Why Taylor Swift? Like, there was immediately controversy around a pop star celebrity taking out this top spot, especially in 2023 when it's been such a huge year. I think a lot of people are criticising the fact that Time had an opportunity with this to draw attention to what is happening in Gaza and some of like the remarkable frontline journalists there, and and they didn't. Yeah, and I, that's a fair call. Like I think you know last year's I'm pretty sure was Valensky. Um, who was the Ukraine president yep. and and the spirit of Ukraine. Yep. When you think about Time Person of the Year, it is really peculiar for a musician or like pop star celebrity to win it. It yes. almost never happens. Every year it goes to like people who have made like huge scientific discoveries or have done like amazing humanitarian work or like economic boom. Like Yeah, I believe Barack Obama has been the Time Person of the Year twice. 
I think he has. Yeah. Because yeah. I was really interested in this because often it is a controversial figure. Yeah. So it could have, like, Mark Zuckerberg or, you know, like... No, it's not meant to... It's whoever's made the most impact, good or bad. Like, yeah. it's just meant to be the most spoken about. Yes. And I, I do think this is a missed opportunity in a sense, but I, I don't think it's incorrect. I think there are a lot of options. Yeah. And yeah. I, I mean, like, I want to get into it. But the other criticism I've seen is, like, why Taylor Swift and not... Not Beyonce. And I thought that was really interesting. Not that Beyonce should have won. Not People aren't saying that, but they're like, that is an- another woman who has had an amazing year this year, has put on this huge tour herself, and she didn't even make the list. Yeah, okay. I agree with that. that she and I was like, list. interesting. But I want to go into the article now because the article actually kind of gets ahead of this when you read it, and they outline why they've chosen Taylor Swift. When they were recapping the Eras tour, Sam, the writer, wrote how it is projected to become the biggest of all time and the first to gross over a billion dollars. Analysts talked about the Taylor effect as politicians from Thailand, Hungary and Chile implored her to play at their countries. City, stadiums and streets were renamed for her. Every time she came to a new place, a mini economic boom took place. It also went on to say there are at least 10 college classes devoted to Taylor Swift now including one at Harvard. The professor, Stephanie Burt, told Time that she plans to compare Swift's work to the poet of William Wordsworth. Oh, my God. It then went on to say, when tickets went on sale last year, Ticketmaster crashed. Although 4.1 million tickets were sold for the 2023 shows, including over 2 million on the first day, a new record, scalpers jacked up prices on the secondary market to more than $22,000. Multiple fans filed lawsuits. The Justice Department moved forward with an investigation. The Senate held a hearing. Yes. Like, when you hear all of that and when you listen to all of that, you're like, Yep. Yeah. But it wasn't even those countries. I remember Canada, Justin Trudeau was begging her to come. Like it, it was like basically the the discussion point was she has stopped a recession. There is no way to downplay that. Yeah. So we have seen you can't even argue the statistics that yeah. it has been mini economic booms wherever she's gone. Yeah. They hired a like there's sole journalists at publications that are Taylor Swift journalists. Yeah. So I think when you consider like I don't think there's any other person this year or musician really ever that has had that amount of impact the other thing I thought was really interesting from the article was she head-on addressed and named names Kanye Kim Kardashian yep now to recap the scandal I'm pretty sure everyone knows what happened but like Kanye West wrote a song and he said I feel like me and Taylor might still have sex why I made that bitch famous then what happened is Kim and Kanye then claimed that Taylor Swift had consented to those song lyrics, which Taylor Swift denied. And then Kim Kardashian released a video of the conversation between Kanye and Taylor that seemed to indicate that Taylor was on board with the song and her then coming out and criticising the song was like a PR move from her and she was a snake, essentially. And the tabloids ate it up. Like, the Taylor Swifters over party trended everywhere. She was cancelled to an extreme level. Like, I don't think I've seen anything like that. Now, Taylor says in this interview, you have a fully manufactured frame job in an illegally recorded phone call, which Kim Kardashian edited and then put out to say to everyone that I was a liar. That took me down psychologically to a place I've never been before. I moved to a foreign country. I didn't leave a rental house for a year. I was afraid to get on phone calls. I pushed away most people in my life because I didn't trust anyone anymore. I went down really, really hard. What I thought was interesting about that is, number one, that in, like, recent years, Kim's gone on talk shows and been like, oh, that's, like, old news drama squashed. No problem between us now. 
As if he would ever fucking move on from that. Yeah. This is like so clearly being like, no. Yes. I'm not their friend. Yeah, I don't have to forgive you. I don't you. forgive you for yeah. that. Yeah. Why don't I thought you was- just Carl Taylor up? <laughs> <laughs> I also really liked, and I think this was also in reference to this, um, a little later on in the article, she says, but I've learned there's no point in trying to actively, quote unquote, defeat your enemies. Trash takes itself out every single time. Mm, delicious. delicious 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 okay the other thing she spoke about in the article was travis kelsey came up oh, i couldn't go past no this. way oh my god when they asked her like oh how did you feel about all the nfl all the coverage you got mm. in the box and like how much you were filmed and how much the nfl made a big deal out of it she goes i have no awareness of if i'm being shown too much and pissing off a few dads brads and chads now, she said, this all started when Travis very adorably put me on blast on his podcast, which I thought was metal as hell. <laughs> we started hanging out right after that. So we actually had a significant amount of time together that no one knew, which I'm grateful for because we got to know each other. By the time I went to that first game, we were already a couple. I think some people thought that was our first date at that game. We would never be psychotic enough to hard launch a first date. I did think that was a first date. No. Well, no, like on. I did think like it, the storyline happened. It felt like it happened within a week of each other. Yeah, I know. But it was like July to like September, wasn't it? I think what happened is the podcast got traction because she went to the game and everyone thought that was like a response rather than like them a few months in. The other thing that I really liked about when talking about this new relationship is she said she doesn't care about how public it is. She said the opposite of that is you have to go to an extreme amount of effort to make sure no one knows that you're seeing someone and we're just proud of each other. So healthy. Oh, my God. Especially when Joe and her were so secretive. Yes, but it's interesting. Actually, I will add my two cents here. <laughs> my TikTok feed is all, like, people just shitting on Joe Alwyn. And I actually refuse to do that because I think at that time in her life, what she needed was a private, supportive relationship at her lowest point. And obviously now she's reflecting on that relationship and she is making commentary that you will get to that alludes to all of this. But I think it's so unfair the way that people make assumptions about his character when it's actually just two different relationship styles. Yeah, I agree entirely, especially given the context of what we knew is she didn't leave a rental house for a year. She went to ground. That was when her relationship with Joe started. Yeah. And it's like, it is okay for someone to want privacy. Like it is not fair to place the burden on him to want to have that lifestyle. Yeah. But I do think Travis and Taylor being at the top of their games and so proud and public with each other is just beautiful to see. But it's, it's timing. The other thing is she directly addressed the Beyonce comparisons. She said... Clearly, it's very lucrative for the media and stan culture to pit two women against each other, even when those two artists in question refuse to participate in that discussion. She ate with that. Yeah, she did. She ate with that. I am just sitting with that right now. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. It, it just is. immediately shuts down that whole conversation. Yep. Which leads me to the most... I actually wrote the most slay part of the article, in my opinion. IMO, caps. I just found this so inspiring, so I want to share this. She said, if we have to speak stereotypically about the feminine and the masculine, women have been fed the message that we naturally gravitate towards girlhood, feelings of love, breakup, analyzing those feelings, talking about them nonstop, glitter, sequins. We're taught that those things are more frivolous than the things that stereotypically gendered men gravitate towards, right? And what has existed since the dawn of time? A patriarchal society. What fuels a patriarchal society? Money, flow of revenue, the economy. So actually, if we're going to look at this in the most cynical way possible, feminine ideas becoming lucrative means that more female art will get made. It's extremely heartening. Pop off. It's so true, though. Yeah. I read that and I was like, 
she's 100% correct. Yeah. That is so Barbie year coded. Yeah. And I think that's why Taylor encapsulates this all really perfectly for 2023. Because yes. it is the year of the girl. It is the year of the Barbie. And what it is and what you hope comes out of this year is more female-driven, focused art. Yeah. Also, patriarchy would die if more men allowed themselves to like feminine things. And I think, like but Taylor I think that's Swift. part of it. Yes, absolutely. You, I have heard more guys this year be like, yeah, I like Taylor Swift. Agreed, because now it's hot. It's shocking that things have not been traditionally marketed towards women and the value hasn't been seen because they are raking in more money. The other thing I wanted to talk about here, and I think this also summed up the article, was this quote. Maybe that this is the real Taylor Swift effect, that she gives people, many of them women, particularly girls, who have been conditioned to accept dismissal, gaslighting and mistreatment from a society that treats their emotions as inconsequential, permission to believe that their interior lives matter, that for your heart to break, whether it's from being kicked off a tour or by the memory of a scar still sitting in a drawer somewhere or because someone else controls your life work, is a valid wound and no, you're not crazy for being upset about it, for wanting your story to be told." And I think that is it. Like, I actually think that's it. Taylor wants her story to be told. She has controlled this narrative and she's worked hard to do so and that's why she's spoken about so much. She is a content machine and she is set on being a content machine in a way that I don't think any other artist is that intent on it. Yes. And she is constantly writing this story and reinventing herself and reinventing the wheel to stay relevant. Is she a psychopath? Perhaps. But I think you've got to give credit where it's due and sometimes... I think it's difficult to recognize history when you're in it. That's that's a real. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't have anything to add on that. Put that on my fucking tombstone, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> The United States has vetoed a United Nations resolution calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. So, 13 Security Council members voted in favour of a brief draft resolution that was put forward by the United Arab Emirates on Friday while the United Kingdom abstained. So, of the 15, 13 voted in favour, the UK abstained, the US vetoed. Now, I want to discuss, because I think that as much as everyone kind of understands what we're talking about here, I just want to get into what this actually means and how this actually functions. So the Security Council of the United Nations basically has a responsibility for the maintenance of international peace and security. So 15 members, as I've discussed, and each member has one vote. Now, under the Charter of the UN, all member states are obligated to comply with the decisions made. But keep in mind, international law is not as applicable or enforceable. No. So as much as there's like social pressure, the reality is it's it does just it. that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now that's and that's a really brief understanding of international law, but I think at fundamental value it's like nice idea, will it be binding? Now, they call upon the parties to settle disputes by peaceful means and they make recommendations and, and try to sort of settle on good terms and help negotiate things. Yeah. In some cases, the Security Council can impose sanctions or even authorise the use of force to maintain or restore international peace and security. So obviously it's quite a powerful body. Yeah. Well, the UN is... Yes, (laughs) obviously. But again, what I'm saying is like the intent is there and this is outlining quite like strict guidelines, but how often they're enforced and, and how successful they are is another question entirely. Now, I want to talk about veto power. So the creators of the United Nations Charter basically established that five countries, China, France, the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, USSR, which was succeeded in 1990 by the Russian Federation, the United Kingdom and the United States, basically because of their key roles in establishing the UN and the sort of recognition they would continue to play important roles, have this veto power. So they have this special status... And basically what it was agreed to by the drafters, any of those five permanent members cast a negative vote, 
the resolution would not be passed, would not mm. be approved. Mm -hmm. So even though overwhelmingly the ceasefire draft was approved by 13 of the members, because the US said no, it's a no. It's not exactly a majority rules. No. <laughs> so if a permanent member doesn't fully agree, it doesn't occur. And so they can abstain like the UK did and just not make a decision in order to allow other countries to make the determination. I think the UK was probably fearful of the United States and abstained and just kind of like was scared. But if they knew that the US was going to veto, of course, they didn't want to look like they were opposing them. So I think that's kind of what's happened here. It's a shame that those politics have to come in to Absolutely. the UN. Yeah, and that's exactly what Australia is doing as well, is following yeah. suit. Yeah. But we're not part of the Security Council because we're not important enough. <laughs> the Deputy US Ambassador to the UN, Robert Wood, told the council that the draft resolution was rushed and imbalanced. And basically the quote was, he said, it was divorced from reality. That would not move the needle forward on the ground in any concrete way. We do not support this resolution's call for an unsustainable ceasefire that will only plant the seeds for the next war. So this is essentially where we're at right now. Can I ask, mm. with no ceasefire, and it doesn't seem like that's going to come anytime soon then if mm. it's just going to be vetoed, yeah. does this war just play out until... Gaza no longer exists. Like, is that now the concern? Well, potentially, and that's really what the risk is here, is that we're looking at a genocide in action. And so what the US is doing, and they have been funding and providing most of the weaponry, and, mm. and they're obviously, they're, they believe in this, like, negotiation and mediation between key players like Qatar as well, which it sort of helped the first ceasefire, the temporary pause for seven days occur. They are saying that by ceasing right now, we're only just delaying another war. Mm. And so it's not like a long-term sustainable solution. Yeah. Now, I disagree with that. Obviously, I think it's a ceasefire now. That is the only option because people are dying. And there's over 17,000 Palestinians have been killed. What we're really looking at is this question of what's the best way for it to occur. And I think it's really semantics. And what we're seeing is the US just continue to fund the weaponry and kind of refuse to engage in a meaningful way. Yeah. Because if it was a ceasefire now, yeah. how would you reestablish leadership in Gaza. Well, I think the, the key concern here is there needs to be a pause so that discussions can occur. Yeah. Because what kind of fundamentally helpful, and obviously a lot of people will say it's impossible for there to be negotiations and there to be a sort of a good solution that everyone is happy with ever. Like that's the argument that the majority of the public, I think, hold. But is that to say that instead the greatest option is to just continue allowing Palestinians to be killed en masse until mm. they are wiped out, really. Yeah, yeah. Because that is the alternative. Yes. And so it's like realistically, there needs to be a permanent ceasefire so that solutions can be looked at and negotiations can occur. I think that the way in which people have this new, renewed understanding of the United States and their ability to just look the other way while mass murder occurs and while they fund and help resource that is terrifying. But also just saying like, oh, that's not the best solution. It's like, you're not really offering another no, one right you, now. They have literally come in and vetoed. Like, there are deaths that will occur today that are because of the US, realistically. Because they had the ability to stop this by recommending a ceasefire through the UN Security Council and at least affirming, validating and trying to push that through and apply pressure. They refused to do that. If anything, they actually undid all of that work and ensured that it continued. I understand the criticism that it's potentially sowing the seeds for a new war, but that actually is entirely dependent on the discussions that would occur when a ceasefire happened. So even if it wouldn't work, at least you're not looking back on history and be like, oh, they did nothing. Yeah. Celebs are back to doing what they do best, being unsupervised and messy on their socials, causing PR teams everywhere to panic. There's I so love much when this they week. do this. 
<laughs> so much. Okay, I actually have a few things I want to run through with this because it's been a like fun week for just little tidbit stories from socials. I want to start with Selena Gomez. So Selena Gomez has confirmed that she's dating Benny Blanco um, in a series of comments over her Instagram this week. First off, who is Benny Blanco? I'm pretty sure most people would have heard of him, but you, his debut single was with Halsey and it was the song Eastside. Do you remember yep, that? Yep. But he's actually just a very successful, very famous music producer and songwriter. Like when I looked up who he's worked with in the past, it was like Ed Sheeran, Justin Bieber, Halsey, Katy Perry, Maroon 5, Christina Aguilera, Kesha, Britney Spears, Rihanna, Sia, The Weeknd, Kanye, Avicii, J Balvin, Scissor. I'd never heard of him. Yeah, because he's usually a behind the scenes yeah. guy. So why is the story so funny to me? Because not even two hours into making their relationship like official online, Selena was fighting for her life, like straight up arguing with her fans in the comments section. And there's actually like quite a few details to this story. So I actually put it in a timeline to make it make more sense. So December 8th, Selena posts a photo on her stories with a ring on her finger with like a huge blinged out B. And then... Post another photo on her story of her smiling, like holding, she's holding like a coffee or something. And you can see the ring again, which was only slightly weird because like, I'm pretty sure that morning or the day before she was like, I'm taking some time away from Instagram. Oh, for fuck's sake. She says that so much. (laughs) God, I can't stand people who do that. We get it. (laughs) Okay. Then December 7th, Selena Gomez comments facts on a post from an Instagram account uh, called Pop factions, which shared the headline, Selena Gomez seemingly confirms relationship with Blenny Blanco. So Selena posts, he is absolutely everything in my heart. Jesus. And then a fan comments, he cursed you. That's not treating you well. Selena replies, then why is he the best thing that's ever happened to me? The end. <laughs> Another fan writes, oh my God, that man was shading you years ago. Selena replies, lol, yeah. And he's still better than anyone I've ever been with. Facts. <laughs> I love the facts. <laughs> oh, I, I'm, I'm actually finding this to be a tough listen. <laughs> then, now this was funny. One of the fans then goes, like, while looking at Selena fighting for her life in these comments section, decides to quote Selena back to Selena mm-hmm. and wrote, if you can't handle the hate, then stop posting pictures of your boyfriend, lol. It should be a special between you two only. Don't be mad at your fans. They love you and supported you before anyone ever did. Now, If you remember, that is word for word what Selena had written first on a photo of Justin Bieber and his then-girlfriend Sophia Ritchie back in 2016. Oh, my God. So she commented on her ex's Instagram when people were making fun of him and Sophia Mm. and was like, don't be mad at your fans. Anyway, similar situation a few years later. Someone quotes exactly that back to her and she replies, clearly not realising that it's her own quote, and says, not mad. It's been six months, baby. I will always defend my friends and family and fans till the day I die. It's so off-putting, isn't it? Can you imagine someone just sitting there like they've got, she's got like 200 million followers or something. She's like, is she She's the the most most followed person on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, And I had to unfollow. Personally, I'm not one of those 200 million because I find it so painful. It is getting more painful for me, but I love Selena. Like I'm a big Selena fan. I, like, to my core was a Wizards of Waverly Place kid. Same, so. but, like, that died very quickly afterwards. I'm not even done yet. There's more to this timeline. I know, I just read that. <laughs> Holy shit. So, going back even before that, November is when the rumours started that they were dating because they started liking each other's photos and then Selena posted her support for his new cookbook <laughs> and then <laughs> Selena's mum started following him. And then in what I believe to be September or October, I can't remember which month, but Benny shared a handwritten note 
from his then girlfriend, no one knew who the girlfriend was at the time though, that he she'd left on his pillow. Now, again, this is not my sense of humour, but I thought you'd enjoy this. It reads, I'm so bloated, please do not squeeze or hold my waist tonight or I'll fart a hole through these sheets. Love you. Yeah, you don't like toilet humour. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but I thought you'd appreciate it. I did, but I I, I'm, still a bit, I'm still fighting for my life just hearing all of this. Keep going. August, Selena releases Single Soon, that song, which was produced by Benny Blanco. You will also remember that back in 2019, the song I Can't Get Enough was also feat. Benny Blanco, and in 2015, he also produced a song, Same Old Love. So they've known each other a really long time. But this is where it gets slightly more interesting because you know how I said that like a fan had called her out like he shaded you years ago? Well, he's also worked closely with Justin Bieber. Like he did Lonely, that yep. song with him. So in October 2020, after he's already done a collab with Selena, he like went on the Zach Sang show and during his interview says... Justin is not one of those, like a cookie cutter pop artist. You know, the ones that are like, here's my new single and then here's my makeup line. That's not evidence. I mean, I think everyone at the time, because he just worked with Celine before that and then was working with Justin and the fact she has Rare Beauty, which is a huge makeup line. I think it's a pretty obvious link. But yeah, I just thought that whole story was so funny. I think the golden rule is just don't reply ever. Never engage. Never what engage. Was she doing? That's that's not good. I think it just gave them what they wanted. It, it entitled them to her time and energy in a way that she shouldn't have given up. It almost makes me more suspicious when yeah. someone feels the need to interject like Same, that. Yeah. Right? Just if you were truly happy, it wouldn't it wouldn't bother you to leave it. It just alone. wouldn't bother you. Yeah. You just wouldn't give it it wasn't even enough comments, I don't think, to have warranted Agreed. such a harsh response. Agreed. Okay. The other thing I thought was hilarious this week was Sabrina Carpenter. So <laughs> Sabrina Carpenter and this has only been reported by like, it, I think it happened within like a 20 minute time frame and only a few news articles picked up on it, but it's really taken off on TikTok as well. So you may have seen this, but Sabrina Carpenter accidentally shared a link to Olivia Rodrigo's interview with Jimmy Fallon, where Olivia is talking about how she stalked her ex on Instagram and accidentally followed him and how she wasn't following anyone else at the time. So everyone picked up on it and it was like very embarrassing. And it was Joshua Bassett. Oh my God. <laughs> and she's telling the story and Jimmy, she was like, my friend ran into the room and was like, oh my God, did you realize you followed him? And she was like, oh no. And then like went to get her phone to unfollow and her phone died. That sounds like a really lucrative, I don't believe that. That's suspicious as. She's telling it as like a funny little anecdote from year, like years later. Okay. After that, Sabrina posted a teaser to her new music video on her story, which fans then clicked on thinking it would take her to the music video. But instead it was a link to the Jimmy Fallon interview of Olivia talking about Joshua Bassett. Oh! Now, this is hilarious. It immediately felt like I'd gone back two years and got a taste of, like, the best love triangle Disney drama to ever exist and, like, literally captivated a nation. I mean, I don't think anyone needs a refresher on this, but Sabrina Carpenter, Olivia Rodrigo, Joshua Bassett was the love triangle to end all love triangles. I didn't know it was her. Sabrina Carpenter? I didn't know it was her. Yeah. You didn't know she was... I didn't know. I just knew the, t the two. I didn't know who the third person was. You oh just, my god! Literally, it's Sabrina. I just googled it while you were talking because I wasn't 100 percent sure. And then you I'm said so it. I'm so sorry. I'm just talking as if that was assumed knowledge for absolutely everyone. It probably is. You know me, Queen. <gasps> no, <sighs> no. Like driver's license. It's Sabrina Carpenter. It's Sabrina Carpenter. Stop! You're probably with that blonde girl who always made me doubt. Yes. That's and then true. Sabrina Carpenter released a song that was like just because I liked a boy, and they're both such a big deal. And who cares about him? Is that true? Yeah, pretty much. Slay. I would still say Olivia is like like on a scale of things like 
truly mammoth. Well, surely that's purposeful. Like, I understand now. I've put the puzzle pieces together. Well, that's the question. Everyone was like, did she do this on purpose? How is that accidental? I just don't know. God, these people are just manufacturing drama. It's embarrassing. Messy. Queensland Premier Anastasia Palaszczuk has resigned and will be retiring from politics, finishing up on Friday. Now, I was actually tossing up whether this is a story I wanted to run this week because I wasn't sure how much could be said on the topic. I mean, she's resigned, she's stepping away. But I actually do think it's really important to discuss Palaszczuk and the legacy she's leaving in Queensland. So she will be stepping down after leading the Labor Party to victory in 2015. So this is her third term as Premier, and she has in that time faced the COVID pandemic, has secured the 2032 Olympics for Brisbane, and is Australia's longest-serving female Premier ever. Wow. She actually led Labor to win the 2015 election when they only had nine seats. They actually won 44 additional seats during that election. She essentially turned Queensland politics back into a stable piece of machinery after a like really long and quite tortured history of corruption and just awful behaviour. And so I really think that there was this deep mistrust in Queensland between Parliament and people. And I think Anastasia Palaszczuk and the government that she has led has really restored faith between the community and Queensland. I'm I'm not a huge fan of her. I'm actually very critical of her, and especially when it comes to youth justice, as we've talked about multiple times on the podcast. But I think credit where credit is due, Queensland fared far better than many other states during COVID. And I know that that's met with a lot of criticism from New South Wales and Victoria, especially about her lockdowns and the rules that she imposed. But I lived in Brisbane for six years and while she was um, serving as Premier, and I was a huge fan during that time of the way that she handled covid And I think she's made huge change and had nation-leading legislation around things like renewable energy plan. Mm. So I think there has been mass change under her. I also do have a lot of criticism, and I think that the reason she is stepping down is probably in large part in relation to her youth justice legislation, which has basically um, overridden the Human Rights Act twice this year yeah. to make sure kids are in detention. Which we have spoken about on the podcast, yeah. so definitely go back and listen. Honestly, like I am so highly critical because I think it's inhumane and children should never be in cages, let alone in the conditions that sh- her government has passed mm. and tried to legislate further on and to impose further restrictions on. But in saying that, I think it's important you know, to acknowledge the backlash and to acknowledge that a lot of Queenslanders don't want the 2032 Brisbane Olympics because of the proposals and the plans and, you know, they're changing a lot of – like they're upgrading a lot of facilities but at the cost of community. So there's a lot Mm. of criticism there and I think Mm. that's why she's stepping down while she's sort of still on that successful run and because Queensland will be having another election next year. But I do want to acknowledge that, like, her terms as the longest-serving female Premier are really significant – and I also want to say that, you know, I think there's three major candidates that are going for Premier and who will try to win the favour of the Labour Party in Queensland before Friday. Mm. My prediction, I'm just putting on the table now, is Shannon Fentiman, who is the current health minister, I believe, and was recently Attorney General. She's passed some of the most significant and progressive legislation in Queensland that I've ever seen. I really hope it's her, but I don't know what's going to happen. It could be Deputy Premier Stephen Miles as the other pick. So interesting to see what happens there, but I, I, I just think it's really a significant legacy that Anastasia has and an interesting one. Yeah. This is a significant moment to see one of the the final COVID premiers step down and retire from politics. Yeah. Okay, we are at our Q&A section for this week. Thank you to everyone who has written in. I hope everyone's enjoying the polls we've been testing out as well on our socials. They've been really fun to do and to see the responses. And you can follow us on BigSmallTalk underscore pod if you want to send in a question yourself. But we have a question here from Nick that has asked if we would still listen to artists if they don't align with our morals. Mm. And we've actually spoken about this. It's a common question, like, can you separate the art from the artist, right? It's something that comes up over and over again. 
I think you can separate the art from the artist, but I think it's a case-by-case thing. I don't know. I actually don't think I have the right answer to this because I think as we were saying before, I wish I could almost practice what I preach better with this Yeah. because I think an example for me is probably like I don't agree obviously with so much of what Kanye has done recently. But some of my favourite songs were Kanye songs before this. Absolutely. And I still would listen to them. Yeah, I've actually really struggled with Lizzo this year as to what to do. Because yeah. I love listening to Lizzo when I'm exercising. Like, it's like my soundtrack. And so I was like, oh, this is an allegation. It hasn't yet been formally resolved, but I don't want to support someone who is abusive. And so therefore, like, I stopped for a few months and then a song would come on shuffle. And I'd be like, oh, my God, I feel so bad about it. But one of the key examples I also think is like, I think the question is, where do you draw the line between what is behaviour that you personally accept and like are okay with because a lot of people would use the example of JK Rowling and Harry Potter yeah, and say like I want to enjoy Harry Potter that's my childhood I want to go like I went to Universal Studios and saw the Harry Potter world in Japan and I was thinking the whole time like is it bad that I'm in in a way giving her money and and, and providing royalties to someone who I fundamentally disagree with their views and the way they've like I think push it, them in public. I know it's in I just think it's an impossible situation I think that's a really good example as well because I love Harry Potter. There's so many memories I have around watching that and reading the books as a kid. And I was such a fan and I am such a fan. And I think for me, I've had to separate the art from the artist. Well, and I get it because I think like I won't listen to Chris Brown, but I would watch Harry Potter. And I'm like, well, I think that he is violent, accused domestic abuser. She has made comments I don't agree with, but what is my personal line? And I think that ultimately I don't really have an answer to this and I don't want to take a firm stance because my thing is morally I would like to be the person that says I don't engage with anyone I disagree with, but I actually don't know the personal and private views of many of the the art I engage with, right? Many of the art, the artists. I think the thing is it's a practice and preach thing as we were discussing before. I think it's really that – I want to be the person that doesn't, but the reality is that I do. And I think it's better to be transparent about that because I think to get on your high horse and say, like, I won't is, like, really isolating and it's exclusive because I think all of us slip up and engage with people that we might not necessarily agree with. I also think there's a timing thing that comes into play here. Like, we loved this stuff within the context of when it was released and and what we knew and that you kind of can't backtrack on that either. Yeah, and then people will get into the argument of like, okay, the example being like, oh, love actually is really problematic because there's all these like bad relationships and it's like, that's been my favourite Christmas movie since I was 10. And in the context of, what year was that released? Like 2003? Something like that. I actually know that. I there's, think it is 2003. I think, yes. No, I, I'm the same. I love that movie and I understand it within its context. And can criticise it. Yes. Yeah. So I don't have a definitive answer on this, but that is my thoughts. There's layers. Thank you for listening again this week. If you did want to send us any questions, please do so on bigsmalltalk underscore pod. And yeah, like, rate, subscribe, leave a comment, do it all. Tap the bell. Thank you so much. See you next Tuesday. See you next Tuesday.